Uh, this morning, if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we're, we're going to do a lot of verses this morning, and it's, so we're going to read together from verses 18 all the way through 44. And I asked uh, Bronson to come up here and, and read the text for us uh, as we follow along. And after he gets done reading the text, we'll pray together and then we'll just begin to, um, to look into the Word and see what God has for us today. All right, so Mark 18 to 44, verse 18. And some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to him and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man brothers dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his brother there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died leaving no offspring and the second one took her and died leaving behind no offspring and the third likewise and so all seven left no offspring last of all the woman died also in the resurrection when they rise again which one's wife will she be for all seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses and the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him, saying, I am God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Verse 35. And Jesus answering began to say, as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. David himself calls him Lord, and so in what sense is he his son? And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him, and in his teaching he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace, and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses for appearance's sake, offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation." And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned 
all she had to live on. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And Lord, I believe that you want to speak to us this morning. And I I thank you that you came, Lord, and you showed us the way, Lord. Not only did you show us the way, but you gave your life for us. You died and you rose again, Lord, and you sit at the right hand of the Father. So we just invite you, Lord, to teach us. We invite you to speak to us. And Lord, I pray for us as hearers of your word that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand so that we may turn back to you. We love you and we desperately need you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you see, we're going to cover a lot today. And as I'm thinking about this, I've always, as always, I'll have three points for you today. The first is they totally missed it. What is the greatest command? And the least became the greatest. So we're going to see two worlds colliding today. And I think that you and I will be comforted today by the words that we have read already today. And you're going to see something that maybe hasn't stuck out to you before, but I pray that it will today because it's in the Word. What we see here is two worlds colliding, the religious world and the common world. And we see it as an epic fight. And you see why we're doing, if you're here this morning, you're a guest, we're going through the whole book of Mark, and we find ourselves in chapter 12. And there's something that is taking place here. Normally, we only talk about these scriptures on Passion Week. Uh, When we're getting ready to go up to uh, celebrate Easter Sunday as we begin to count down from the Sunday before and go through what it is that Christ went through. But we find ourselves today in Mark, in the history of it all, that Jesus is getting ready to give his life. And there's an epic battle that is, getting, that is taking place right in front of us. You see, Mark was written to a Roman crowd, right? We've talked about this before, but I want us not to get lost in all the sermons that we're doing on Mark. Is that John Mark wrote the book and, uh, was, and he traveled with Paul and Barnabas, who was uh, uh, Peter's apprentice, so to speak. And the Gospel of Mark was likely written to Gentiles to persuade the Roman readers that Jesus' death on a cross, which was shameful for Romans, right? For a man to die on a cross was very shameful, and it was a form of execution in Roman society, did not invalidate his claims to his Messiahship and his deity, or his proclamation of the kingdom of God, but rather that his resurrection Miracles and prediction of his death vindicated his claim. So that is why we have the book of Mark. And as I was thinking about how to introduce it, and and I'm not really a storyteller per se, except I like to tell on my own mistakes through life and what I've learned through them and still making them, so I'm still a learner. But I think about the parable that Jesus spoke. When he said a king sent out to throw a wedding feast, 
He went out to gather a bunch of people, people that were of the kingdom. And he went everywhere and said, hey, come. The feast is ready. We want you to come. Enjoy. It's all free. Just come. One by one, they made excuses and could not make it to the wedding feast. And what does the master or the king say to his servants? Go to the highways and the byways and tell people to come. The least to come and enjoy a feast. I want my uh, party to be full and I want the least now because the ones that I called would not come to come and sit at the table and enjoy. And we even see it in the midst of that parable. Jesus says there was one who was not dressed in the right clothes. It doesn't matter if they were poor or not. They still had to be dressed in wedding clothes. And they weren't. So he sent that one away to outer darkness. And we can say that is a sign that you need Jesus to enter in to this big supper that is getting ready to take place for, for the Christian. I share that Because here's where we are. The very system that God gave to the world to be the light of the world and to show people that the Messiah was coming had totally missed it. The religious leaders were to point people to the coming Messiah. And here the Messiah is. He's shown up. It's getting ready. Remember we find Jesus coming to the temple after the triumphant entry. He comes in riding on a donkey. Then we find him in the temple doing all sorts of stuff. And I said it a few weeks ago or a month ago that Jesus was not a rebel. Jesus didn't come just to destroy a system. He came to redeem a system. He came to show men men and women the way to God where the very people, as we talked about, were actually shutting the kingdom of God and people out of the kingdom. And so here we have, if we remember... If you go to Mark 8, verse 31 through 32, I'm going to give us a little background to hear as we get into this. And Jesus actually prophesied of this very moment many times, but specifically to Peter. And remember, he said, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And remember, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And said, get behind me, Satan. And so here Jesus had prophesied. Peter said, it's not going to happen. But then in Mark 11 verse 27, we find a peculiar scene that is getting ready to unfold. And here it says, they came again. To Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So here they are. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they're coming for an ultimate confrontation. To catch Jesus in the act. Why? So they could destroy him. And remember we talked about it uh, two weeks ago, the Pharisees and the Herodians came against him. And challenged him, and Jesus challenged them right back. And so here we find ourselves this morning that some Sadducees 
which didn't believe in the resurrection, were coming to catch Jesus in very act of breaking, not only challenging him about resurrection, but also breaking the law. Well, what was the law? We see in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 that if a man uh, had died and his wife was left, that his, uh, his widow was to be given to his brother so why the inheritance could pass on. And not only the inheritance, inheritance could pass on, but also that the lady would be saved and safe within the confines of a marriage. And so we find ourselves here and they're saying, Jesus, so, hey, let's talk about the resurrection. Moses wrote that if a man has a wife and the man dies and, and, uh, and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up the child. And he goes on and says, well, what happens if one dies? What happens if the second dies? What happens if the third dies? And then so on and so on. And I think Jesus at this point is just saying, is kind of having enough. And we find a few things that are interesting. How many of you would love to be married in heaven to your spouse? See, some of you didn't raise your hands because you're like, no way. This life is enough with them. Okay, it's a joke. Bad joke. But some of you don't think it's very funny. But the truth is, let's talk about the resurrection. As Jesus said many times that the resurrection was going to take place. Not only did he say the resurrection of the dead would take place, he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he talked about the uh, dead being raised. And, you know, I've often thought about this. Like, I do love my wife. And I pray that you guys in your marriages, you love your spouse. And I would love to be married to my life for all eternity. But the fact is, I'm not. And you see what happens is we don't want to look too much into heaven and, and create this utopia type of sens sensuality or something that's not real because Jesus says plainly, and even in Luke chapter 20, verse 35 through 36, but those who considered worthy to attain to the age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marriage nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels. And are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So listen, when we get to heaven, it is not going to be like the life we live today. And so Jesus, I think, is kind of having a conversation here. But he says something that is extremely key. And he says... In them, to them, in verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? That you did not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? And you see, the reason why I want to point all of this out to us is because we cannot miss what I feel Christ wants to speak through these verses to us. 
We do care about learning. We do care about knowing Scripture and handling the Word of God. And actually, that is what we want here in Cornerstone Church, is that when you read the Word of God, that you are handling it rightly, not falsely, but correctly. But even when you're doing everything right, you can be extremely wrong. You might ask, why do you say that? Because they weren't understanding what they knew. They didn't understand the Scripture or the power of God. And if you remember in John chapter 3, that Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus cannot get it. And Jesus questions him and says, How, Nicodemus, can you not understand this when you are a teacher of the law? And he says, you don't even understand earthly things, so why would I tell you heavenly things? Or how could you understand? And he's challenging the religious leaders. And remember, we always are going to go back to where we, what we've come from in Mark. Is that remember when he came to get fruit from the, the people that were looking over the vineyard and they had no fruit to give? That's basically what we're seeing here. Is Jesus is questioning them saying, what are you doing? And I was talking this morning with the worship team and, and Lee and Warren as we're praying for the service. And you guys, do you remember what it's like to come to Christ for the first time? And as Jed was talking about his dream this morning, I wonder if he was going to hit a mailbox with brick because that will stop you in your track. But he stopped before he got that. But Jed had nothing to bring. And the truth is, when I came to Christ, when you came to Christ, you had nothing to bring. But let me ask you this. As you've grown in your faith, as you've grown in your knowledge of Scripture, have you taken on a prideful stand? Of thinking all of a sudden that you know more than others. And oftentimes that's what we do. And, and that's why we did the book of Mark. And I felt like it very good for us for the season that we just went through. And I don't need to repeat the season because it was bad enough. But it was like we kind of were missing the point of what it was to live. And to be a Christian. And when we're doing well, all of a sudden we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in the seat, the driver's seat of a chief priest, of a scribe, or an elder. And that's not good. You see in Matthew or in Mark, we're going to read on and we're going to skip over to verse 35 because I think it goes with what Jesus, the theme that he's speaking here. It said, Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. I think why he brought this out, at least in this moment, is to point to them and say, hey, you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. Because is it true, yes, that Jesus is the son of David? Can we all say yes and amen? And we find this from Psalm 110 when this this is where Jesus is quoting it from. He's like, look, scribes, you know that this is to be true. But how is it that David said this in the Spirit? And I think Jesus is trying to speak to them something much larger and much greater. He said, yeah, I did come from the seed of David, but I am much greater than David. And he's pointing to them, in my opinion, out of this scripture, he is pointing the people to himself. He says, how is it that David could say, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, and so here we go, Jesus is saying, here I am, I am he, I am the Messiah. Listen, I did come from the seed of David, but I want you to know that this seed is human seed, but I come from somewhere greater and if you think about it for the moment is, and I always say this when, especially when my kids are scared and, and, and different things is, listen, hey, Satan, he's created. Jesus, he is uncreated. So I want to ask you, who's going to win? You see, the Messiahship of J- David, or Messiahship of Christ means everything. And he actually asked them, and we see it in Matthew 22, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said the son of David. I want to talk about Christ just for a moment, sitting at the right hand of the Father. God's right hand is the means whereby victories are obtained for the people of God. It is also an instrument of punishment for the ungodly. While the right hand of man is impotent to save, God's right hand sustains His children in the hour of need. Furthermore, God's promises to strengthen the right hand of the person He purposes to help. To be at the right hand of God is to occupy a place of the choicest blessings. It is the place where the Lord Jesus Christ now reigns in glory and intercedes for those who he has redeemed. So this is a cool thing because our Jesus sits now at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling. So they missed it. Let's go on to point number two is what is the greatest command? And as we see that even before this, he says, He's not the God of the dead, but the living. And he said, you, again, he says, you are greatly mistaken in verse 27. But we find ourselves with the scribes, and this is a pretty neat thing that's going on here in my opinion. If you don't know who the scribes are, I will tell you who the scribes are. They were the educated, as we say in Arkansas, the educated. 
These guys knew how to read and write, so they knew how to read the law. They were the dispensers of the law to the people. And it's funny because sometimes I think we're kind of getting back to that place where now the pulpits are being filled not with people that are spirit-filled and know the Word, but are very highly educated. And so highly educated, you can hear them all day, so highly educated that they can give you a good word with being devoid of the power to transform lives through that word because the Holy Spirit is moving in them. But he said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, What is it? And he's trying to trap Jesus, yet he knows Jesus is very uh, good. He's a lawyer, so the scribes were lawyers and different things, so they knew. And he's like, man, this is Jesus. I don't think I can trap him. But let's see. He said, what is the greatest commandment? What commandment is the foremost of all in verse 28? And Jesus says, the foremost is the hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment. No other commandment greater than these. Right here, it's awesome, guys. I want you to know that the New Testament and the Old Testament go together. Jesus is quoting Old Testament Scripture. And He's speaking to the people, to the ones that knew the Old Testament, said, here is the greatest commandment. It was actually what we call the Shema statement in Israel. Is they were to say this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, they were commanded to recite this in their homes and to their children as they were walking. But Jesus adds, a little more is to love, you shall love your neighbor. And we find that otherwhere, other places in the scripture, in the Old Testament, you shall love your neighbors yourself. And the scribe said to him, right teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself. And then he says this, which is so fitting to what we talked about last week is is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligent, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. And I love that statement because this scribe was not far from the kingdom. And after that, no one ventured to ask him any more questions. And so this is it few short days he's going to give his life but here's the deal and we have to stop and we just have to say is okay lord what are you speaking to us what are you saying to us and i will say this is that he is emphatically saying that to do the things that god has commanded us to do is better than any sacrifices 
any burning, burnt offerings we can make. And here is the greatest of commandments, folks, and this is not hard. Actually, it is extremely hard, and I'll tell you why it's extremely hard. is because we are extremely self-focused. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So my question for us this morning is, how are you doing? And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And here is the deal. Keith Green, you guys may not know him. He died in a plane cra- cra- uh, crash a, a long time ago. A really great singer and songwriter, full of the spirit. But he wrote this song, and part of the song it said, uh, Lord, when I am doing well, help me not seek a crown. For my desire is to honor you. And so here we have the epitome of some people that are doing very well in the religious circles. Everybody looks to them. They have power. They have authority. They know the scripture. So everybody looks to them. And yet they are all wrong. And I look at my own life and I pray that you would look at your life this morning because we're going to end with something really cool, is how are you doing? Have you puffed yourself up to think that you are doing well? You see, I find myself, and some of you will relate with me, is that the better I am doing, the more proud I become. And the more proud I become, and then I walk around and, and I begin to say, look at me. Look at all that I do. And although as a, as a pastor, it's kind of hard because I should be an example. I am called to an example along with all the elders. They should be examples to you. But if we're not careful, we can miss it in the midst of our knowledge, in the midst of our understanding. So I'm seeing something great taking place right here. And so let's go to point number three. And I titled it, The Least Became the Greatest. We're going to start in verse 38 because I think we have to. And we're going to see why Jesus was so hard on the religious leaders of his day. He said, in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Who? devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers, these will receive a greater condemnation. Isn't that interesting that the very ones he sent to be dispensers of the law are going to now receive even greater condemnation because of what they have become. 
And a key phrase here that I wanted to look at is who devours widows' houses. And this is going to be very important for us, but before we get there, Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15 says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, you religious, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses and and a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour, or I just said that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as your Selves. So let me ask you, how are you doing today in your walk with Christ? You see, isn't it interesting? And again, I'll say, some of you are like, man, I'm so glad I'm not a teacher, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor. You know what? This includes you. I remember sitting in a, a pew. It was in Bronson was a little kid, and I went to his church and and uh, my uh, brother Miles's church. They were in youth group, and it was a good church, I guess. But uh, the thing that I found really interesting is the whole service behind me. I heard this grandma just railing on her grandchild how pitiful and terrible he was, and he needed to get his life right. And I wanted to turn around and say. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is how you invite somebody to Jesus? But why I want to share this is because that's what we do sometimes. We make it hard for people to enter into relationship with Christ instead of taking them to the cross, resurrection, and He sits at the right hand. All of a sudden we become rules and and law-abiding Christians and say, you got to do this, this, and this. And what we're actually doing is shutting them out of the kingdom. And I want to say this, the highway to holiness doesn't take you to Jesus. We go to Jesus and then we get on the highway to holiness. And I, I thought about this a lot. Is that I preach hard here and I preach about sin a lot. But I do it in the context of the gospel. It's because we need to be a people that we do see our sins. We do need to see when we break the law. And we do need to know that we are sinful people. And But the cross is there for us. As we sang this morning, that on the cross, Jesus took the wrath that you and I deserve. So we do need to be challenged about our sins. But it's always in light of the cross because the heavens, heaven's doors are open to you and I, but it's through Jesus and Jesus only.
And so, I have to ask this question before we go any further. What can we learn about a religious man? And what can we learn from a poor widow? So after Jesus says this to the, about the scribes, He sits down opposite the treasury and began observing how they were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow uh, came and put in two small copper coins which amounted to a a penny. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty and put in all she owned and all she had to live on. This is usually where the pastor says, You widows, give. And which is the epitome of a religious person is robbing the widows. And I don't know about you, but as I look back on my past of the prosperity gospel, preacher after preacher after preacher, where were they praying on? They were praying on the poor. And they would use the scripture. Saying, look what the widow did. She had nothing, but she gave her all. So you need to send in $100 today so you can get $200 tomorrow. And the sad part of it is, the truth and the blessing is, is that when you give, God will always be faithful to give back to you. So do not let yourself be robbed of a blessing of giving. I want to say that. But I don't think that is the point of this scripture. I think we're seeing a shift in the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said about John in Matthew eleven eleven, John the Baptist, truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And then he goes on in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So here we see this widow. And Jesus is commending her. So let me ask you this morning, you don't have to answer me. Bless you. Bless you. Is what can we learn from a religious system? What can we learn from the widow? Let's put this all back into context, and I think it will challenge us this morning. Remember what the scribe said to Jesus in verse 33. Is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So I want to ask you this morning, who 
was loving the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength? Was it the religious? Or was it the widow? And I would like to challenge us this morning that I believe that it was the widow. You see... Here's the good news for you and I today. As I already said this before, is it doesn't matter your class. Whether you were rich or poor, whether you were handicapped or not, whether society looks at you as a contributor or an outcast, it does not matter in God's kingdom. You see, if you're honest with me today that you could admit just like I can admit today that I am the widow. First of all, I don't have much to give. But what I do have, I am going to give. You see, you hear me say this a lot as man, I'm a man of very few talents. I can't sing, trust me. I can't play an instrument, really trust me. I just don't have much. But I will tell you this, that what I have, I am going to give. And sometimes, I will tell you this much, I get scared to even give what I have. Why? Because sometimes I just look at myself and I know I cannot give what needs to be given. But you know what? It's not about me. You see, the only true place to come to this place of loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor more than yourself is to forget yourself. And you see, you cannot forget yourself until you've laid yourself down at the foot of the cross and say, all I have is yours. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My life has been crucified with Christ. You see, this is why What better news is there than when Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, kind of has a transfer. Remember, he said this in in not too short chapters ago in in the vineyard, right? And I got to say this because it was was powerful, at least for me, in the parable of the vineyards, which is in in chapter 12. He says, I'm going to take from you and I'm going to give it to others. And not only am I going to give it to others, but I'm going to give it to others who will give back to me. And so we see a fulfillment of that parable right here, I believe, is that he is taking from the proud and he is giving it to the humble. Remember we started off with Mary's words to us that God has exalted the humble? And so this morning I ask us, this morning, 
where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves with the religious leaders or do we find ourselves with the widow? And I will tell you emphatically that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I'm wondering, are we willing to humble ourselves before God and others? And I'm telling you folks, this is better than anything you have to offer to God. You see, and Paul encourages us too, as I was thinking about this this morning, is remember, he says, love trumps everything. You can speak in all kinds of tongues. You can do all kinds of good works. You can do this and that. But if you lack love, you lack everything. So I want to remind us this morning why we gather, why we serve, why we do what we do. It's because of others. And ultimately because God. How can we apply this today as we end? I see two worlds colliding in this text. The proud and the humble And I will tell you this, guys, you that don't read a lot, there are people in here that don't read a lot. That you don't have to know everything and you don't have to understand everything to know Jesus. Now, we don't want you spreading wrong doctrine and we'll correct you on that. But don't worry, you will be corrected (laughs) by the religious police. But what I'm saying here is, guys, if we're truly a gospel-centered church and if we're truly about evangelism, then we're going to invite people in. And we're going to say, come to the cross. You know, we'll let the cross clean you up. We'll let the Holy Spirit work in your life. But we desire you to come and to know Him. So that's good news for some of us in this room is you that don't feel like you can give. You've got all that you need to give. And you that love to learn, you that know a lot about scriptures and desire to know every dot and every tittle, everything to know about what God has, I'm going to encourage you to keep on seeking. To know Him But listen, if your understanding of Scripture takes you far from Him, you need to stop, you need to repent, you need to know Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you this, when when you are learned, sometimes there is a temptation to puff yourself up. But I'm going to say this, is that we need to humble ourselves and make sure that our learnedness, our learning points us right into a deeper walk with Him. If it doesn't, you've missed it. And you will probably find yourselves in the seat of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the chief priests. And I want to share this with you this morning, is that you and I can look forward to a life beyond what we know and knowing now. The one who gives us eternal life is of utmost importance. This life is not all there is. This life will fade away. But the life that is coming will never fade.
And I have to say this, that if you choose to reject Christ, you are rejecting to live eternity with the Father forever and ever. You are choosing a way worse place for yourself in utter darkness, and that's what we call hell, separated from God forever and ever, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So today as Jed and Brother Jeff come this morning and we're going to end in worship, today let us choose the way of the widow instead of the religious. Let us take stock in what we are doing. Are we too loving the Lord with everything that we have and are we loving others as ourselves? This is much more important than anything else you might do in your life. So if you'd stand with me this morning, we're going to pray together and we're going to ask the Lord to revive us and to become like the widow. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, if we're not careful, we find ourselves dispensers of truth and yet we're far from the truth that we don't have understanding of the scripture or the power of you God we miss it and we're badly mistaken and Lord if that is us Lord we ask you to forgive us to where Lord we have uh, made something big that was not very big And Lord, I ask you also this morning that you would search all of our hearts, Holy Spirit, search our hearts this morning, that if we are not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, Lord, would you show us anything that is coming in the way of that, Lord? And Lord, I know that I fell in this area And I want to ask for forgiveness, not only for myself, but for all of us, Lord. We ask for forgiveness is that when we are looking out for our own self-interest and not the interest of others. Lord, would you forgive us this morning? And Lord, would you help us become like the widow that we see in the story who gave all that she had She held nothing back from you, Lord. So, Lord, we make no excuses of our inability to be whatever we think we should be. We make no excuses, Lord. And we stand before you this morning and say, Lord, would you use me? Would you use us for your glory? We bring to you the little we have. And may you be glorified this morning. And Jesus, we thank you for in a few short days, at least from this scripture, you were going to give your life for all of us. That the wrath of God was going to be applied to you on our behalf. But Jesus, you didn't stay there. You rose again. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, we choose you as the King. As the Lord of our lives, we choose you today. So lead us and guide us, Lord. 
In your precious name, Jesus, amen.